This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Late one night, as a weary trucker, I found myself taking a shortcut down an unfamiliar highway due to an unexpected detour. The road stretched on endlessly, and an eerie sense of foreboding gnawed at me as I drove deeper into the darkness. I knew I had to stay vigilant, for the stories of this cursed highway were whispered among truckers, and I was now amidst the very road that fueled their fears. I couldn't shake the feeling of being watched as I navigated through the ghostly stretch of road. The haunting silence was only broken by the faint hum of my truck's engine and the distant echoes of past accidents that seemed to linger in the air. My knuckles turned white as I gripped the steering wheel tighter, hoping to reach familiar ground soon. Suddenly movement caught my eye, and I glanced out the window. There, just a few yards ahead... Something crossed the road. My heart leaped into my throat as I caught sight of the cryptid that stood before me. The figure was short, about 130 centimeters, and its gaze was fixed intently upon me. Its grayish-green pallor sent shivers down my spine, and large, dark pupil 
less eyes stared into my soul. The creature's head and body were covered in heavy skin folds, giving it an appearance that was both otherworldly and ancient. A thin beard adorned its face, making it seem as if it were an elderly being bearing the weight of countless years. To my astonishment, another figure soon emerged beside the first one. This second entity was slightly shorter and appeared younger, but they both shared a resemblance to aged gnomes. They communicated in gestures and low murmurs, and it was as if time itself had twisted around them. My heart raced, and I slammed on the brakes, bringing the truck to a screeching halt. Fear and disbelief washed over me as I struggled to comprehend what lay before my eyes. Had exhaustion and the stories of this haunted highway played tricks on my mind, but the clarity of the sight before me was undeniable. I sat frozen in my seat, my breath quickening as I watched the two enigmatic beings. The seconds ticked by, feeling like an eternity, and then, just as mysteriously as they had appeared, they dissolved into thin air, leaving me alone on the endless road once more. My mind reeled as I tried to process the surreal encounter. Was I losing my mind, or had I truly witnessed something inexplicable? The haunted stretch of highway seemed to mock me, revealing its secrets and taking them away just as quickly. I knew I had to share my encounter, but who would believe me? After a restless night, I finally made it to my destination, my mind burdened with the weight of the inexplicable event. As days passed, I kept replaying the encounter in my mind, searching for answers in vain. It was dark. I was driving my truck going south on Highway 219 out of Hillsboro. I had the truck's bright lights on. I was scanning the countryside for wildlife, as is my practice. I've seen hundreds of deer and a number of elk over the years. Not necessarily in this location. But what I saw that night made my mouth drop open. I saw a very tall, shaggy, golden-brown animal with two very long legs. Its arms were hugging its sides. It was standing as still as a tree as the headlights hit him. My first impression was that is the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life. But even though it was looking directly into the headlights, the eyes were not reflective. It had no antlers. And as I got closer, I saw that it didn't have hind legs or a horizontal body attached. It was taller than an elk and much, much taller than a white-tailed deer. I would estimate that it stood approximately eight feet tall. It had a good build, well proportioned. The hair seemed to be about four inches long and covered all the body except for the eyes. The head was round on top with little or no neck. The face appeared flat and the nose was small enough not to be noticed. The hair had a slight wave to it. It did not lay flat. To tell the truth, it looked a lot like Chewbacca, ASP, from Star Wars. It was standing in a field about two, three pickup lengths from the road, facing the road at an angle in such a way that my headlights hit him straight on as I approached, and I could see him from the side as I passed him. I was going 55 miles per hour, so I saw him for only seconds. But the image is etched in my brain. I've thought about this since the day it happened and can figure out nothing else that it could be other than a Sasquatch. I finally decided to report it, also noticed. Everything was ordinary. I was in such denial of what I saw that I didn't even turn the car around. 
but the image stayed in my mind. I drove by the field again about an hour later. The animal was gone. While performing a nighttime land navigation course for the National Guard, I was the lead person of an eight-man squad moving through predetermined checkpoints. I felt that there was something moving approximately 50 meters to the right of our formation through the trees. When I looked in the direction, I observed a very tall creature moving rapidly behind the trees, using very large strides. This creature was moving very deliberately, but did not appear to be moving at full speed. The creature continued to move away from my group until it was no longer visible between the forest trees. Nobody else in the group saw the creature, although when I asked, the others said that I looked like I was scared. My girlfriend and I brought our van to the campground, set up Christmas lights, and turned the music up very loud. We were partying and drinking and having a good time until our driver's side door slammed shut very violently like somebody gave it full force. Nobody was around, and we were the only ones in the campground. I grabbed my knife and waited, but didn't see anything after that. It was very freaky. By the way... There was a post about the Bohemian Mines area. We have camped up there, too. It's very remote. We felt a very strange presence up there. We had a humongous bonfire to keep all intrusions away. During the summer, I usually woke up early and went outside for walks or hikes at 5.30 a.m., I decided that I wanted to pick some staghorn sumac because it was August, and at that time, they're ripe. I walked from my house to the railroad tracks to start my walk. I walked a quarter mile down the tracks. I stopped and looked at some sumac trees that are along the side of the railroad bed with my flashlight because it was still dark outside. As I was looking at the sumac tree to see those fuzzy red cones, I see a person in the bushes behind this tree. It looked like a naked, pale, emaciated man hunched over running away from me while making no noise. I dismissed it as my brain screwing with me, but it did bother me a little. I was barely outside of my town limits when I saw this thing. Don't mind my terrible sentence structure. The powerful roaring scream was heard by Dana and Charmaine while they were fishing on a dock approximately 150 meters west of the Hoover campground, located along the south side of Detroit Lake where the Sandium River empties into the lake. The scream emanated from a point along the lake to the west of where the witnesses were fishing. Approximately 30, 40 seconds later, an unidentified fisherman was seen running away from where the scream had originated. Upon seeing him, the witnesses immediately joined the visibly panicked fisherman on the trail, and the three of them continued running until they reached the relative safety of the campground. Once there, the ladies asked, Did you hear that scream? The shaken fisherman replied, Hear it? Whatever that thing is was right next to me. After their brief conversation, Dana and Charmaine quickly struck their camp and drove back to Portland.
I hunt on 800 acres in southern Ohio. The closest town is well over 15 miles away, and I'm about five miles from the closest house, other than my own. I was in a tree stand during mid-October at around 5 a.m. I still to this day have no explanation for the man I saw walking on the trail adjacent to my stand about 100 yards away. He was wearing a yellow shirt, athletic shorts, and it didn't look like he was wearing shoes. It was still pretty dark at this time, so I couldn't see super well. It was also about 45 degrees that morning, which made things even slightly more confusing pertaining to his choice and outfit. I don't think he saw me. It would have been impossible to spot me from that far and that amount of light. The creepier thing is that none of the trails on our property come even close to any trails on the surrounding properties. I simply have no explanation for what I saw. I lived in an area that wasn't very developed, lots of sprawling forests. We had ten acres and I was allowed to wander in the woods as long as I didn't cross the creek. It was the border of the southern edge of the property. I was an adventurous child, though, and there was a great natural pool that was up the creek past our property lines that I liked to visit. At this point, there weren't many other houses around. We had a few neighbors, but it was mostly undeveloped fields and forests. For some reason, though, I crossed the creek and started up the slope on the other side. I guess I finally wanted to see what was on the other side. The whole grass is greener thing or something. Probably just because I was told not to, and I loved breaking rules. I remember stumbling upon a clearing with a camper in it, a sort of run-down camper. Now it would be extremely challenging to get a camper this far into the woods. At least I'm pretty sure it would be a challenge. It's been a long time, and as a child, the woods seemed endless. There were no campgrounds around, and I don't know. I just had a weird feeling. I didn't see anyone, but I just knew that someone was living there, so I quickly left, crossed back over the creek, and hiked back to my house. I told my dad about it, but he told me not to worry and not to go back there. I'm tempted to ask him if he remembers this, but he's going on 70. One now, and I'm not sure he'd remember something that happened such a long time ago. I must have been about 12 when it happened. I was sailing round the Hebrides with a crew of six, and we're doing a three on three off rota. At about 5 a.m., a thick layer of fog started to roll in, and the wind dropped. We must have been moving at most three, five knots. All of a sudden, I see something in the distance and ask the first mate to check the radar to see if it is another vessel. Nothing on the radar. I ask him to check the charts to see if it's a land mass. Nothing on the charts. We use the telescope to try to get a good look, but the fog was too thick. About two, three minutes later, the mass starts to get larger and what seems closer and closer and until finally breaching and motoring past no more than 20 yards off our port side. I'm not sure what type of sub it is, but according to the first mate, he says it carries eight missiles armed with nuclear warheads. Creepiest thing is that the fog lifted no less than two minutes after it passed. Freaked me out being so close to something that can cause so much destruction.
I know I'm late, but I searched for spirit of the woods on here and found nothing. Spent many summers living the southeast of Tennessee's wilderness. One period, I went off, grid, and stayed out there for eight months. I still had contact with people, but during the late winter, early spring, I was very secluded. If you ever hike through wooded areas with little underbrush, occasionally the trees will line up, and you can see further through them than normal. When this happens, the collective mist condensation seems to concentrate in the space between the trees. Makes sense. One time I was on a particularly long walk on a logging trail and noticed that mist, it could have been the seclusion causing me to see things that weren't there, but this time the mist seemed to pulse. I'm weird when I get scared. I get mad at myself and tell scared me that I'm being irrational. I make myself face it. This time was no different. As soon as I made that decision in my head, the entire forest fell silent. If you've ever heard crickets get in sync and go silent before, this was the same thing. The mist continued to pulse, but it stopped shrinking as much. With each pulse, it grew larger. I couldn't do anything but stare at first, then. And again, I was more than a little freaked at this point. My mind decided that the mist wasn't pulsing slightly bigger. It was approaching me. F that. I was hiking light, day pack with my camera, journal, and summer supplies. So I just ran. As soon as I made the decision to turn and run, the forest sounds came back and seemed louder than ever. Like the whole time it was there, but the mist was blocking it out. It was telling me to run, that I was doing the right thing. As I said, I have this perverse behavior where I almost like being afraid that I make myself face whatever irrationality hits me. I still have not gone hiking alone to this day. If you've been deep woods camping all alone, out is the emptiness that is what is creepy. No car horns or engine noise, chatter or children, neither hustle or bustle. Just the wind and the quiet at night. Leaves don't rustle in the calm, and sticks don't crack in the absence of the weight of someone or something coming and going. Just pure quiet. You look up at the sky and see an ocean of stars sometimes flickering, and realize that millions of people can't see them because of city lights or pollution. There is no common connection being had unless you gaze at the moon, and even then the doubts cloud your mind. It's two days to hike to the nearest landmark, and you aren't sure if you want to head back because you aren't sure if the world has ended, and you are the last person alive. You strain your senses to hear, to see, to touch another person, but they are all gone. They're all gone. Late 70s, my dad and his buddies went trekking out in northern Siberia in late fall. Being several days from the nearest village, the likeliness of encountering other humans was extremely unlikely. Having set camp for the night about a week into their journey, the party started a campfire. About halfway through the night, the guy watching noticed two figures approaching the camp from the woods. It was two guys wearing prison fatigues, thing was nearest gulag-type facility, was at least 200 kilometers away. My dad's buddy pulled a rifle on them and asked them to stop. They asked if they could warm themselves by the fire, so dad's friend woke everyone up. 
They stayed for around a half hour, and Dad and Co. fed them some food. The two guys started getting anxious, and after about an hour decided it was time to leave. They left into the dark forest, and my dad didn't ever hear about them again. In the morning, they tried to follow their tracks, but the heavy snowfall had made search impossible. Growing up, I lived in a fairly secluded area, only four or five other houses on a five-mile road. My brother, a few friends, and I played in the woods a lot during summer breaks from school. One summer, we spent countless hours building a house in the woods out of sticks and rocks. Truthfully, it was a decent house. We got stuck in a heavy rainstorm and were able to take shelter in it and only got mildly damp. School started up again, so we stopped playing in our house. But one day, just after the first snowfall, my brother and I decided to go back to our house and see if it was still standing. When we got close, I noticed that a few things had been moved, but just assumed it was animals or wind or something. When we got right up to it and were able to see inside, it was clear that something or someone had been inside, possibly for a decent amount if time. We do have bears and other wildlife around, but this was clearly something with the ability to design a living space. The space was cleared to sleep with leaves for padding, and there was a makeshift table made out of a large, flat rock that had been carried there. We looked at each other and headed back home quickly, maybe half a mile or better. We never talked about it after that, and we didn't mention it to our parents. But I never went back there and always took someone with me if I went into the woods after that. Apparently, when I was younger, like barely able to speak, I was sitting on the floor playing with some toys nonchalantly with my mom when I just said when I was in heaven, I met a woman who said you'd be the perfect mommy for me. I apparently held the belief that I was in heaven before being born, and an angel looked at me and chose the mom I went to. My mom asked me to describe the woman, and I apparently described my mom's great-grandmother perfectly, down to the eye color. I had never met my great-great-grandmother nor seen a picture of her. As a child visiting my grandma's house, my mom's mom, whenever I left the house, I'd wave next door to Ken, who was always sat in the bay window looking out at the sea. They lived right on the coast off the North Sea in Hartlepool, United Kingdom. We'd never really talked, but just a little wave before I went to get into the car. One time I'm leaving my grand's house, I'm in front of my mom, who stopped at the door to talk to my grand. So I head down the steps and towards the gate. I turn back and see Ken in the window. Big smile as usual, waving at me. I give him a wave back. He stands up, gives me the thumbs up, and wanders towards the back of the room. My mom comes walking down the steps and asks, Who are you waving at? I replied Ken. To this day, I can remember my mom's face. She just went white, but didn't say anything to me. It was only a few weeks later when she plucked up the courage to tell me that Ken had died a few days prior to our visit to my grains. I don't believe in ghosts, but I know I saw him. I can still picture his striped gray sweater with light stripes across it, him waving and getting up out of his chair. 
There was no one else in the house. He lived by himself. Brains are weird. Update one. Sorry for the delay in getting back, but I had an update from my mom regarding me seeing Ken. I reminded her of the incident and what she can remember of it. I got this reply. I'm sure you saw him too. I know there's someone in our house. Ashley, mum's cat, sees him on the stairs the same time every night if we are in the lounge. I always say hello. Definitely doesn't feel like a threatening presence, though. So now it turns out there's not just Ken next door. There's someone in my mom's house. Maybe it's my gran. Once pandemic is over, I'll have to stay over a few nights to see for myself. I had just finished my initial military training, basic aid, a few other classes, and got sent to my first duty station. My unit was at NTC for pre-deployment training, so I met up with the rear echelon. I get issued my room and spent three very disturbed days, nights, in the barracks with weird stuff happening like gear, not where I left it, locked drawers being opened, the microwave turning on by itself, shit like that. My roommate, who I knew throughout training, showed up on the fourth day, and I told him something along the lines of, Watch your shit. Someone's been messing with my stuff, and I don't know who. So the fourth night comes around, and myself and my roommate secure our room and gear and go to bed. Gotta be up at 5.30 for PT, so it's an early night. We lock all our stuff and go to bed. I woke up around one cause, my blanket had fallen to the ground, and I was cold, which was weird, cause we were in the south in summer, so it's always hot. I hopped down to get my blanket, and I noticed my armoire is open, so I open the lock, close it, lock it, and get back to bed. I fell back asleep pretty easy, but I woke up again at about 2.30, and all my stuff and my roommates' stuff is thrown around the room. I wake up my roommate and he's pissed because someone is messing with us and can't figure out who it is. We clean it up, lock our stuff, and go back to bed. I woke up a third time at 3.30, 7, and we're not alone. I can hear my roommate snoring, so I know it's not him. I sat up and saw someone in the little kitchenette area with the fridge open looking in it. I was freezing again. I was about to say something as the soldier turned around. My eyes had a moment to adjust to the bright light, and then I started recognizing gear like the L-shaped flashlight on his shoulder, his Alice pack with magazine holders and canteens, butts and fatigues. This dude was combat ready. As my eyes reached his face, he turned a bit and I could see it. Half his head and helmet were gone, blown off by the looks of it. I'm scared shitless at this point. He closed the fridge, walked across the room, keeping his bright green eyes on, opened my front door, and walked out. As he exited, he turned back around and said to me, Be safe. I didn't sleep the rest of the night. I didn't wake my roommate up. I just sat up in bed for about two hours till I had to get ready for PT. 6.30 rolls around, so everyone is outside the barracks in formation, getting ready to start PT, and the acting first sergeant says, Hey, Nachase, you good? Looks like you seen a ghost. I replied with negative, I'm fine, once you good to go. About halfway through PT, he comes up to me and asks me what's wrong, because I'm visibly shaken up. I told him I was fine, just couldn't sleep last night. 
A few others asked if I was okay, and I just lied and said I was fine. I really wasn't, and they could see that, but they let me be. After PT ended the acting, one SG pulled me to the side and told me to speak freely openly, and with all confidentiality and off the record, what is wrong? I told him that if I told him what happened, he would think I'm batshit crazy. He assured me it was off record and once again said, talk to me. You seriously look like you've seen a ghost. That got an awkward chuckle out of me, and I began to tell him my story, and when I got to the part about his head, the acting 1SG lost his shit. Who the fuck you up to this? This is not funny, etc. He smoked me for about 30 minutes. Made me do push-ups, mountain climbers, stuff like that, all while yelling at me that I'm a piece of shit. Finally, after about 30 minutes of that, he says, look at me in the eye and swear on everything that you love that you're not lying to me. I told him I was not lying. It happened. So he says, follow me, so I do. We get to the command office, which I had never been in, and they were obviously locked. He takes me behind three locked doors and three rooms I had never stepped foot in, and when he opened the last door, I saw it. It gave me chills. It still gives me chills, but plain as day, there's the soldier's portrait behind the commander's desk. I froze and said, that's him. Acting 1SG, the guy who assigned me that room, told me who it was. He was a corporal in the unit on my unit's first deployment to Iraq, and he died in an IED attack that took off part of his head. I was the first soldier to be assigned that room since it belonged to the deceased corporal. He forgave me. And I forgave him, and he told me some stories about who this guy was. I deployed with that unit just a couple months later and spent 12 months fighting in that shithole. I nearly died. I don't know how many times my vehicle got hit with IEDs and rockets, and it always made me think of that corporal. I survived more things than most people can imagine, and I always felt like that corporal was keeping an eye out for me. Not everyone in my unit was as lucky as me. Three from my company didn't get to come home. Graveyard shift security at a hotel casino. We got called to the top floor of the hotel because people from the floor below were calling in noise complaints. I was the FNG, so I had a trainer with me when we went up. Dispatch told us over the radio that there was nobody registered on that floor. So cool, just a few idiots being idiots. We got up there, and every single door on the entire floor was wide open. Anyone who has been to these hotels knows that you can't just accidentally leave the doors open because they closed by themselves. They weren't propped open or anything, just open. We asked dispatch if engineering was doing any work up here or had anything going on during the day. After a few minutes, they told us they called engineering, and they said no. We just noped out at that point and said there was nobody up there. My sister has been a nurse for about eight years in Southern and now Northern California, worked in hospitals. Med surge, tele ICU, dialysis centers, and now a hospice nurse. She has a few stories from the hospital, things like children laughing, shadows, patients claiming they saw another dead patient when they had never met. 
One of the creepiest that she and the other nurses told me was about a patient complaining and scared that something was under their bed. He was older and confused, so they didn't think much of it. Checked on him, responded to the multiple calls, and just tried to make him feel better. The next day, a new patient went into that room. Another older person, but not confused, and called to complain about something under his bed. They sort of brushed it off again after checking. The next night, a new patient in his twenties and completely coherent called crying that something kept running under his bed. They checked and found nothing, but the patient was in such distress and shaking, they moved him. Happened quite a few other times as well. They never found anything, but that was so creepy to me. Not sure if this is paranormal or not, but we live together now, and she works as a hospice nurse. Every so often she would scream or I'd hear her struggle or make weird noises in the middle of the night. I'd go to check, and she'd tell me it was sleep paralysis. And explain what happened, that she saw a specific patient in her episode. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business. Removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Standing over her and growling, crying or screaming. Always a very scary dream. The next day, that patient would die. Happened about 13 times so far. Trips me out. I've always loved the forest. It's where I feel most at home. That's why I became a park ranger to protect and preserve these lands. But one day, something strange happened. I was walking along the forest trail, keeping an eye on things like I usually do, when I saw a group of men in black suits walking towards me. They had no park ranger uniforms, but they had badges and ID cards that identified them as some kind of government agents. They said they were conducting a routine investigation and asked me to show them around. At first, I didn't think much of it. I figured they were just here to check on the animals or the trees or something like that. 
but as I watched them work, something about their behavior started to bother me. They were searching for something, something elusive, something unknown, and they weren't telling me what it was. I asked them what they were looking for, and they told me it was just a routine check, but I knew they were lying. They were hiding something sinister, and I was determined to find out what it was. One night, I decided to follow them. They were searching for something deep in the woods, something that made my blood run cold. I couldn't see it, but I could hear it. A low growl, almost like an animal, but something more, something inhuman. I confronted them, demanding to know what they were doing. That's when they turned on me. They threatened me with jail time if I didn't back off. They said I was interfering with a government investigation and that I had no right to be here, but I couldn't back down. I couldn't let them find whatever it was they were looking for, so I kept following them, watching them from the shadows. As the days went on, their behavior grew more and more erratic. They stopped sleeping, stopped eating, stopped doing anything but searching for that thing in the woods, and as they got closer, I could feel something dark and sinister looming over us, something that had been sleeping for far too long. Finally, one night they found it. I don't know what it was, but it was huge with eyes that glowed like fire in the dark. They tried to catch it to contain it, but it was too powerful. It broke free from their grasp, and chaos erupted. I ran as fast as I could, but I could hear their screams echoing through the forest, a sound that still haunts me to this day. I don't know what they unleashed, but I know it was something far beyond our understanding, something that should have stayed hidden in the darkness. Now I'm afraid to go back to the forest. I can't shake the feeling that something is watching me, waiting for me. And I know that those men in black, they were hiding something that should never have been found, something that will haunt me forever. On 7 July, my friend Glenn and I were at the campground on the Malala River when we stumbled upon a torn-apart gunny sack that had been hung off the ground with potatoes scattered on the ground. We suspected that a local had been baiting Bigfoot in the area. We had been in the same area back in March, but on the North Fork of the Malala River, when we heard a scream around 8-9 p.m. and encountered a strong smell. Later that night, around 10 p.m., we heard another scream in the distance and a couple of thuds that we couldn't identify. Around 2 a.m., our dog started going crazy at our camp on a gravel ridge. Could it be more Bigfoot activity? I wasn't sure, so I contacted Steve Williams. Investigator Steve Williams looked into some recent reports from the lower Mala River area and filed a report about the coal incident of on 18 July, he crossed the Pine Creek Bridge and drove about two, three miles to the gate. About two miles later, he encountered a sour smell that almost knocked him over, but saw nothing. He continued two more miles to a three-way intersection before returning to the area of the smell to investigate further. He hiked in the direction of the smell and, about 50 yards from the road, encountered the largest black bear he had ever seen. It was the size of a zoo, grizzly, and was tearing a stump apart. They stared at each other for a moment, and despite having a camera, Steve backed up several steps and did what he wasn't supposed to do. Ran like hell. He said that if the bear had stood up, it would have been seven feet tall. 
Steve said the bear shook its head a few times, back and forth like a dog, and turned and went in the opposite direction. Continuing his investigation of a report from me on 7 July in this report, Steve traveled about two miles up Copper Creek and found the campsite I had referred to earlier. It was located about an one-eighth of the mile in the woods past a rock quarry. He was of the opinion that a camper had hung the potatoes to keep them from critters, but had not hung them high enough, and animals had gotten to them anyway. While he was there, he heard noises and met two fellows from the BLM with recording gear and such that were looking for evidence of owls. There had been reports of screeching at night around there. Owls or Bigfoot? I couldn't help but feel a sense of excitement as I read the report of Joe Rayab and his wife's discovery near the Nehalem River. As a Bigfoot enthusiast, this was the kind of news I lived for. I immediately contacted Joe to see if I could join him on his next expedition, and to my delight, he agreed. We planned to meet up the following weekend and spend a few days in the area, hoping to catch a glimpse of these elusive creatures. I packed all of my equipment and supplies, including my trusty camera and binoculars, and made my way to the coast range. When I arrived, Joe greeted me warmly and introduced me to his wife. They showed me the tracks they had found, and I was amazed at the size and depth of them. We spent the first day exploring the area, taking note of any broken trees or dug-up earth. It was clear that something big had been moving through the area, and we were determined to find out what it was. As the sun began to set, we set up camp near the river. We built a fire and cooked our dinner, all the while keeping an eye out for any signs of movement. We talked late into the night, sharing stories of our own encounters and speculating about what we might find in the coming days. The next morning, we woke early and set out on foot to follow the tracks. We trekked through the dense forest, taking care not to disturb the environment or the creatures we were hoping to find. We came across more tracks and broken trees and I couldn't help but feel a sense of awe at the power of these creatures. As the day wore on, we heard the unmistakable sound of footsteps nearby. We stopped in our tracks and listened intently, and that's when we saw it. A large, hairy creature stepped out from behind a tree and stared at us with a mixture of curiosity and suspicion. It was a Bigfoot, and it was unlike anything I had ever seen before. The creature was massive, easily standing over eight feet tall, with long muscular arms and legs. Its hair was dark and matted, and it had a distinct musky smell. We watched in awe as it moved through the forest, disappearing from sight just as quickly as it had appeared. Over the next few days, we continued to explore the area, catching glimpses of the creatures and gathering more evidence of their existence. We even managed to capture some footage on our cameras, although it was blurry and difficult to make out. As the expedition came to a close, I couldn't help but feel a sense of gratitude for the experience. I had always believed in Bigfoot, but now I had seen them with my own eyes. Joe and his wife had made an incredible discovery, and I felt honored to have been a part of it. I packed up my gear and said my goodbyes, already looking forward to my next encounter with these amazing creatures. It was October 2012, 
Me and my grandfather were hunting for white-tailed deer on his property in a little ran-down town called Reedy, West Virginia. We were not having any luck at the first few spots, so we moved to a different location, down towards the bottom of his property. This place always gave me the creeps because everything down there seemed to be dead. The trees, grass, and there were basically never wildlife in this area. Well, after us sitting there for about 30, 40 minutes of not seeing anything, we were about to move. That's when I seen it. There was this very odd-looking creature that kind of looked like a horse with a wolf face with this very rough and decayed look to its fur and skin. It was just walking through the field we were watching over when it stepped right over the fence. And Keep in mind, this fence was made to keep horses in, so this thing was quite big, at least bigger than anything that should have been in those woods. My grandfather is dead now, so I am the last person to have physically seen this thing, so if any of you have any idea what this could have been, that would be very appreciated. My family and I used to live in a really old house built sometime in the 1830s. Hated the house from the day we moved in. It just had a really weird vibe to it, and from the outside it looked a lot like the house in the first Conjuring movie, which did not really help. It did not take many weeks of living there before something happened. One night I woke up with a dark, shadowy figure of a man in the middle of my bedroom. The figure was slowly walking towards me. I felt the most horrible sense of dread and fear that I have ever felt in my life. As the figure moved closer towards me, I heard a loud whispering from multiple voices coming from everywhere in the room. My body was frozen and I could barely tilt my head and roll my eyes in horror. As the figure reached me, it touched my chest, and as it made contact with me, I felt this horrible sadness and emotional pain that I just cannot explain. Naturally, I told my parents and wanted to switch bedrooms, but they never believed me. I had to sleep in that same room for three years before we finally moved away. I kept having horrible nightmares from time to time during those three years, and they always involved the same shadow figure attacking me in a number of ways. Since we moved, I have never experienced anything like it again, which I am extremely grateful for. When I was younger, I saw a demonic possession. More accurately, I saw someone who was possessed. I've talked and written about this before, but as of late, I've wanted to talk about it again. Apologies in advance if there are any issues with my typing. I'm on mobile. So I was young. I can't say exactly what age, but my brother, five years my elder, was old enough to operate the soundboard at the church my family attended. This was a night service on. Sunday around 6 p.m. in either late fall or early winter. I remember that when services ended, it was dark out, but not dead. Of night dark and services ended at around 8 p.m. Me and my brother were in the back of the room where services were held by the soundboard. My grandfather, who was watching us, is also the pastor at said church. He was, and still is, a man of dogma and strong faith who has told stories about demonic possessions, faith healing, and divine intervention. 
My grandfather was in the back with us, making sure that my brother understood what he had to do to operate the soundboard, and I was trying to learn a thing or two about it, since the large board of dials and levers looked like magic to me. In walks a woman. This woman is young, maybe twenty-five, but she looks bad. Her hair is disheveled. She's got bags under her eyes, and she looks very pale. However, she does not look homeless. She's wearing nice clothes, lifts, and some jewelry. I don't recall having seen this woman before. She quietly takes a seat at the front of the room by the altar and pulpit. Service begins with ten minutes of hymns, as usual, from these thick green books that the church has about a hundred of. The woman doesn't stand or participate, but she's quiet and not distracting. Then my grandfather takes to the pulpit. He begins his sermon, which I can't remember what it was on because I was focused on the woman who was now rocking in her seat. Weird. My brother is trying to get the recording hardware attached to the sound system to work. The issue isn't that it won't record, however. The issue is that when my brother put a disc in to record, it broke. It was fine for the morning service, and no settings were touched on the recording system. The disc literally broke in half. Service goes on with the woman getting more distracting until the service ends, and me and my brother are escorted out. Everyone else goes home without staying to talk, which is unusual. I sat on the walkway with my brother and grandmother outside the church, while my grandfather and the officers of the church were inside with the woman. I could hear verses from the Bible being recited, screaming, and I saw the lights flickering through the window in the door. About ten minutes later, they all come out, and the woman looks much better. The bags under her eyes are gone. Her hair is still a mess, but it looks shinier and healthy. And she thanks my grandfather before getting into her car and leaving. I'd fully say this was just a woman with mental illness, if not for the way the sound system acted, and the way that she changed when all was said and done. To start off, I'd like to make it clear that this was my first schizophrenic episode. At the time, I had no idea I had the condition. It had been a stressful day, and I desperately needed a break. I decided to pull over into a forested park to take a walk and clear my mind. The calming atmosphere of the woods seemed like the perfect remedy for my frazzled nerves. After a while, I headed back to my truck, feeling a bit more relaxed. But as I approached, I saw something that stopped me dead in my tracks. There was a man hanging from a tree nearby. Panic surged through me, and I couldn't take my eyes off the gruesome sight. The man's head appeared to be decomposed, his mouth hanging open in a grotesque way. He was wearing a navy blue mechanic jacket with a name tag, and his lower body was missing. Terrified, I scrambled back into my truck and hid below the back seats. My heart pounded in my chest, and I couldn't shake the horrifying image from my mind. I stayed there, hidden and trembling, for eight straight hours. Eventually, I learned that what I had seen was just a mind-created illusion, a result of my first schizophrenic episode. But even though it wasn't real, the vivid memory of that horrifying scene still haunts me to this day. The PTSD. It caused remains a constant reminder of the power and fragility of the human mind.
I had just finished doing laundry in the basement, and as I gathered my clothes, I couldn't help but feel a chill run down my spine. I had always been slightly unnerved by the basement, but today the feeling was stronger than ever. Despite my discomfort, I shrugged it off and began my ascent towards the staircase. As I walked, I suddenly noticed something out of the corner of my eye. I turned my head, and to my utter disbelief, I saw a misty apparition floating in the air. It was the ghostly figure of a head, adorned with a powdered wig reminiscent of the 18th century. I couldn't believe my eyes, and I stood there frozen as the mysterious figure drifted slowly across the room. I blinked a few times, trying to convince myself that it was just a figment of my imagination. But the apparition remained very much present and real. It was as if it was beckoning me to follow, and I couldn't help but feel strangely drawn to it. The ethereal figure continued to float, moving closer and closer to the wall. I held my breath, unsure of what would happen next. As the apparition reached the wall, it didn't stop. Instead, it disappeared right into it, as if the solid barrier was of no consequence. I stared at the spot where the ghostly figure had vanished, trying to make sense of what I had just witnessed. I couldn't help but wonder if the apparition was somehow connected to the house's history, or if it was a message from the past attempting to reach out to me. With a racing heart and questions swirling in my mind, I made my way up the stairs and back to the safety of the main floor. But one thing was for certain, I would never forget the day I encountered the mysterious powdered wig apparition in the basement. I had two eerie experiences out in the bush while working in Colombia and Africa. I was not hunting either time, but it was definitely wilderness, so I guess that qualifies for this threat. When we lived in Bogota, Colombia, I traveled to the Amazon on several occasions for work. On one occasion, I took the family to the river town of Leticia, which is on the Amazon River where Colombia, Peru, and Brazil all meet. Leticia was one of the safest towns in Colombia. Since it is so far from anything, even the FARC and ELN guerrillas didn't have much of a presence in the area. Leticia is kind of a frontier town like I imagined St. Louis was in the 1830s. Within three, four hours by boat from Leticia, you still have tribes in the Javari Valley that have had none to very limited contact with the outside world. Men from the Tacuna, Hitoto and Yagua tribes come into town to trade, sell skins on the black market, etc. There are some men who are both fluent in Spanish-Portuguese and the many Indian languages of the area, and they act as a go-between and often travel for weeks into the forest to trade. One one trip we took a boat upriver about two hours to Puerto Norino, and I found a Tacuna Indian since the area north and west of there is Tacuna land, with a canoe with an outbound motor who agreed to take us north on the little tributaries and fish, do birding, etc. He told us about a tree that kills other trees, so we decided to go check that out and see if it was real. There were certain areas of the forest that he was very leery about and said that we could not stop, as there were evil spirits in that part of the forest. The Tacuna we talked with also described a lot of animals that are not recognized by science and were not in any of the field guide books I have. 
It was interesting because they didn't exaggerate these animals as being special or unique. For example, when I asked about what cats there were, they described a jaguar, puma, ukulat, margi, and a cat about the size of a puma, but with much longer canine teeth at the rest. Both Takuna I talked with spoke about this cat, just as matter of fact they did about a jaguar, peccary, snakes, etc., without sounding excited or trying to get me interested. On the same trip, we also spent some time with a Hirototo guide in the area due north of Letitia. We got to a small village where they had just killed a jaguar that had attacked a hunter. The Hirototo also believe in a lot of the same animals that the Tekuna guide told me about, but they are adamant about being out of certain areas by dark when they believe El Dueno de la Selva, Lord of the Forest, walks around. They described it as a dwarf-like being that has feet pointing backwards and can imitate any voice. They give a small offering any time they hunt to pay safe passage in order to hunt and kill an animal. This being will often lure children out into the forest by imitating the voices of their parents telling the child to go deeper and deeper into the forest until they are lost and even their best trackers would lose the kid's sign at a certain point as if the tracks suddenly disappeared and there were only a set of human-like tracks that appeared to be walking backwards. I know that a lot of indigenous tribes are very superstitious and believe in things that we think are strange, just like they think some of the stuff we believe is crazy. But it was interesting to see experienced hunters that had just killed a jaguar with spears be absolutely terrified about a small dwarf-like creature that lures children away to their deaths. But there were a few times out there when the hair on your arms would stand up and you would feel that you were being watched. Most of the area is triple canopy, so it is fairly dark even during the day, and your eyes get tired and play tricks. Sometimes it would look like there was a man up ahead, but when you got there, it was some twisted vines. GPS didn't work because of the canopy and all the creeks. Look the same except where there is occasionally a fallen log to cross over on. But it was weird because that haunting feeling only occurred at certain times, even though the entire trip was in similar terrain and vegetation. We also saw jaguar prints on top of our tracks that we had left two hours before. So I know there were lots of sets of eyes watching us, but that didn't faze the Hutato we were with. It was that other thing that they feared. I live in East Tennessee, and red wolves aren't even supposed to be here. But I looked up wolves on the internet, and I promise this is what I've seen. I sit on my porch smoking, and on my phone at all hours. It was about 4 a.m. quiet, which is unusual since I live in the mountains. Closest neighbors are about one half mile away. My hackles stand up as I'm engulfed in something on my phone, so I look up. I look around, and I don't see it at first. But this wolf was only about 15 feet from me. My porch is about 8 feet high, one way up and down. Now I see coyotes almost every night. I'll just stomp my foot and they run off. I was so shocked I couldn't mow at first. This thing was just huge and not moving at all looking at me. I pulled myself together and stomped my foot. This thing never even twitched a muscle or moved. 
I'm terrified. I slowly stand up, never taking my eyes off of it and back into my house. I instantly go to the window and look out and poof gone. I walked around my home looking out every window. Nothing. We have motion light on each corner of our house that are set off constantly. But somehow this thing didn't trigger them. No one believed me when I say I saw a wolf, especially one that big. But we have those concrete deer in our yard not far from where this happened. This wolf made them look tiny. It was also so broad. I will admit I have never seen a wolf before. But this thing terrified me. The fact it never even twitched when I stomped my foot and just stared at me. Like damn, I get chills every time I think of this. I've been on fishing and hunting trips in the Amazon, and it's a very wild and powerful place. Spent some time going deep into the other world with shamans before a hunt, having ape blown through a snuff cane into my nose to induce a vision quest, talking with animal spirits that I was later hunting, lots of strange creatures and supernatural forces in that jungle. My most eerie story was actually in Northern California. I was setting up camp one evening in the summer on a remote logging trail. It was hot and muggy, so I decided to walk down to a stream, wearing nothing but a towel, and go for a dip to cool off. On my way back to camp, as I was walking up the trail, I saw what looked at first like a doe walking towards me. I stopped and watched it getting closer to, and as it came into focus, I noticed a big circular head and thick black tail that swung to the side. O.S., I said out loud as I realized it was a mountain lion and a big one. Just then it looked up at me and we stared at each other for a moment. I raised my hands up to try and look bigger, realizing I had no weapon and was half naked. The cat looked at me and, in one hope, jumped into the scrub oak. I made some noise, collected myself, and continued on back to camp after waiting a few minutes. I got back to my camp about an hour later, and the sun had gone down. I was lighting my camp stove to cook dinner. I turned on my headlamp and kind of stared at the ground, thinking about what had happened earlier. I even thought it was kind of cool to be able to see such an elusive animal. It was at that moment I felt a chill go up my back. Some primal instinct from deep in my brain was telling me something was very wrong. I turned around and looked into the tree above me. About fifteen feet away was the shadowy figure of that same circular head I saw earlier. The eyes were locked onto me and glowed bright yellow. The cat knew I saw it and crouched into a pouncing position. I felt absolute terror, and I was now being hunted. This cat had been stalking and watching me the entire time, deciding when to make its move. Then one leap, I made it into the back of my pickup truck and slammed the topper down. I could have won an Olympic medal for the distance I covered in that one move. It still gives me the shivers every time I think about it. The cat had me fair and square. One second later, and it could have had the back of my neck in its mouth, and it would have been over for me. The air part is that I was no longer a hunter but was stalked for almost an hour without ever realizing it. On Thursday, May 4, 2023, between 6-7 p.m. in Snellville, Georgia, 
I was standing outside the police station and saw a shiny brown cigar, shaped object flying vertically northeast. It was moving smoothly and fast. I pulled my phone out and tried to get a video of it, but it was hard to get it and had to look back at the sky. It was gone as far as I know. What I could see was a large bird now flying around in circles. Later that night, around 12 a.m., I was on the phone with a friend, and the network cut off and was out for 30 minutes or so. It came back on, and I was talking to my friend again and made the comment either a UFO went by or a tower went down. Around 4 a.m., I got the feeling to lay in the bed and passed out immediately. I woke up at 8.35 a.m. and went to take a shower. I took my shirt off, which I was wearing when I fell asleep, and had two sticky black circles on each side of my chest, where my peaks meet my deltoids and collarbones. The shapes were round, three by three inches, and the left one was a little smeared. It was sticky to the touch, but wiped off easily with tissue, almost like it was dry. And then I took a shower. I wanted to keep it, but kept getting this subtle subconscious feeling not to and threw it away. Have you heard of anyone having a black residue left on their body? I've had many experiences starting in 1970. 7. In Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It was kind of creepy seeing the circles, but I was calm about it. I think it was for my own good. They've made it clear they don't like it when I talk too much or what I talk about. But I know the time is there when I should. 